I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, or really taken note of the problem that we have as a church, not just our church, but as the church. Uh, most of us, if not uh, all of us, would recognize what the problem is, and we would call it by name, and the thing that we'd call it is, is hypocrisy, disingenuine. We'd call it just people who aren't very real. They're not genuine. The problem with the church today, in some ways, is that there's this lack of genuineness about them. I saw an atheist recently say on Facebook that he knows more about the Bible than uh, most Christians. He's probably right. You see this all throughout our culture. It's one of the main things that people bring. It's something we talk about often at Outward Church. And the reason is, is because it's, it's real. And you and I, we're just people. And we're screwed up. And we have, we have problems. But there, there's something about it. That there's still an expectation that my faith would be real. And that when I say that I'm a Christian or when I'm going to church, that there's this genuineness about our gathering, that there's this genuineness about our approach to God. Jesus, many times in the New Testament, he would do something, and then people would walk away. He'd say, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and then everybody would be like, this is wacky, and they'd be out of there. And then it says, in another place, it says that he would not entrust himself to these people. And the reason why he wouldn't trust himself and trust himself to them is because he knows the heart of man and he knows what's going on inside of them. And so there's people who are walking away and there's people who really aren't genuine. They're just after Jesus because they want Jesus to give them something. Or we're just after Jesus because... There's this, there's this thing about our life that just it, we just have this religious theme to who we are. We have this religious theme that essentially means that uh, I'm a Christian. Or I grew up in the church. Or I go to a Christian school. I have Christian friends. I, I have a Christian baseball team, uh, you know, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm just involved in Christian things, and that's who I am. But that doesn't mean that I have faith that is genuine, that doesn't mean that my Christianity has its roots deeply in who Jesus Christ is. And so what you, we have to ask the question is like, why is this true of all of us at some point or another and many of us most of the time? I mean, I just think that's the place to begin this morning as the church is to just say, this is true of me and that I am a hypocrite. I am somebody who doesn't know what's going on. I am somebody who doesn't have it all together. You can't get in to Christianity without first making that claim. Because that claim is rooted in repentance. And the, the, the life of a Christian is one of ongoing repentance. But oftentimes, we as Christians, we don't want to hear about this idea that, oh, I have problems. Or I'm a hypocrite. We want uh, the pastor to tell us what's going to make us feel good. 
And oftentimes, it's not really helping you because no one's telling you the truth. It's as though you have a cancer that's growing in you, and yet the doctor isn't being honest. He's saying, you've got a short amount of time to live. I mean, that's what he should be saying. But really, many doctors, pastors, are saying, oh, all is well, all is well, all is well. When it's not, when it's not, Jesus' uh, words are pretty biting at times. When he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to be there. Not everyone who did these things in my name is going to end up in the kingdom. Just because you had some works doesn't mean that everything's fine. So to come face to face with this reality that uh, really I've got an issue and my issue is rooted in this lack of genuineness and who God is. And it's really rooted in something else. And so you have to ask the question, what is it rooted in? My wife and I were just watching TV last night, and a commercial came on, and I can't remember the product. In fact, I don't even know what it was, but my wife uh, saw it, and she uh, relayed it back to me. And it says something along the lines of, um, become who you really are. This, you buy this product, and this product is going to make you feel what you deserve to be, I think is something along those lines. Make you feel like what you deserve to be. So there's this thing where we come to God and we say, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve to be helped in these areas. I deserve to have these things. I deserve to have relationship when I want it, the job promotion when I want it, the friends that I want, the house that I want, the places that I want to be in life. And yet when those things don't happen, it really just shows us something. And, it, and, and when they don't happen in our timeline, it really just shows us something. And that is, how, how are we, we going to respond? Because that shows us who our faith really is in. Are we someone who's coming to God saying, God, I'm going to, tre- uh, I'm going to treat you like a purveyor or a giver of goods and services... And when you give me the goods, I'll give you the praise. I should write a worship song right now. You give me the goods, I'll give you the praise. Woo! Don't ever sing that song. I mean, that's what we're saying when we come to God. We, we, we say, you give me that, and, I, and I'll, I'll think about what I'll do for you. Or there, there's, there's this other thing where it's like, you know what, God... The, the little bit that I give you should be enough to sustain my favor with you. And so I'll come to you in relationship occasionally. I'll, I'll say in my mind, I like God. I think Jesus is cool. But in reality, there's, there's, there's a, a, a truth that's not there. There's a genuineness that's not there. And ultimately, it's hypocrisy. It's saying one thing, doing another. It's in the way that we approach God and in the, the way that we come to uh, the gathering. You know, I wonder if the, if the, uh, the pastor's going to sing one of those dumb songs he always comes up with, right? I, I don't really want to hear one of those today. I hope he doesn't do that. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if it's going to be entertaining enough for me. 
Are you not entertained? Gladiator, right? I wonder if it's, it's going to have exactly what I want in a children's ministry. I wonder if they're going to send me home with uh, crafts that have rice and undried glue all over them. And all the parents said, I remember that happening maybe a week ago. I, I, I wonder if it's, if it's, uh, it's going to be the, the type of people that I like. Is this going to fit my... You know, my longings. Is this going to be a boring sermon? Probably. Probably. I mean, there, there's just, it comes out in the way that we approach God. There's this level of hypocrisy that says, God, you are a provider of, of goods and services for me. And as long as you're fulfilling that, then I'll participate or then I will kind of Thank you. Give him, a, give, give him a couple dollars like he's a valet. It comes out in the way that we pray. It comes out in the way that we, that we pray to God, the way that we talk to him, the way that we communicate to him. Out of our heart, our mouth speaks. And it shows us something about who we really are. And then it comes out in the way that we promise to God. God, I promise I'll never. Or God, I promise I always will. Or God, I, I want you to know this. That, that, uh, that from now on, I'm going to give. And God, from now on, this is never happening again in my life. And really, what's at the root of all of this is our approach to God is off. Our approach to God is off. And so we're not approaching God in fear or reverence, but we're actually approaching God as our personal servant. We're, we're approaching God as though he is my genie in a bottle. Don't think about Christina Aguilera right now. The song, Genie in a Bottle. Not, not the, yeah, never mind. I, we're approaching God in a way that says, you're here to serve me. And not approaching him in the way that we, the way that he would have us. Now this idea of, of fear, if you look in uh, Ecclesiastes, that's the book we're in. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to skip ahead here for a second. Chapter 5, end of verse 7 says, But God is the one you must fear. God is the one you must fear. I'm skipping ahead because I want you to have this in your mind as we walk through this passage. God is the one you must fear. Now, the fear of God is something that's perplexing in many ways. The fear of God is something that uh, we oftentimes think about when you just go, I, uh, I guess if there is a God, I suppose I'd be afraid of him if I saw him. But it, it, you're not really understanding what fear is. I mean, that, that in some senses that is true, but in another sense it's not. It doesn't really grasp the idea. It's like, it's like a handgun or any kind of a gun, really. Anything that shoots a projectile. We should, it, it's something that should be... Uh, revered 
It should be feared. There, there's a respectful fear over something that can kill me, that can maim me. It, it's, it's, you know, the safety's on. I don't point it at anybody. It's all of, you know, all of those types of things. It's the, the hunter safety course or whatever you, you've taken if you are into that. There's a respectful fear that we should have of firearms, right? My, my wife was saying, I think I was talking to her about guns uh, just the other day, and I can't remember what it was about, but, um, uh, and she was like, she just had this look on her face like, don't care. And, uh, <laughs> and then she started talking about makeup, and I was like, don't care. Uh, <laughs> and she, I think she said, uh, you know, uh, my makeup is your guns. You know, it's, you know it's, they're, they're the things that we care about, but, you know, the other spouse doesn't really care about that much. And so I suppose there's a respectful fear you should have of makeup. I mean, otherwise you could end up looking like Chucky or a circus clown, right? I mean, like, you should fear that. It, it's not quite as dangerous or as, as, uh, as hurtful as, as, say, a firearm, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it could get you out of a jam if you needed it to. So... Um, in any case, the fear of the Lord. I'm not sure what I meant by that. Don't read into it, all right? Uh, um, I need to read ahead in the passage here. Do not be rash with your words. Um, chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Let me read this for you. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business. In a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Now this passage is kind of an interesting one. It's kind of nestled in here. We've been talking uh, about all of life being meaningless or vanity. Like a vapor. It's just kind of here today and gone tomorrow. It's just, you know, everything we could put our time and life into... The teacher or the preacher from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, I believe it's Solomon, is essentially saying this, like you can put your time and effort into anything and everything will lead you nowhere and so you might as well enjoy life. And right now he's taking a break to tell us something and that is this, that we can enjoy life but there, he's speaking to Israelites, Old Testament Israelites. So this is before Jesus has come. But he's speaking to them and he's saying, listen, like when you go to the house of God, when you go to meet God, there's some things that you should keep in mind. 
And if you don't have those in mind, you're really not fearing God. You're actually like fearing yourself or feeling, fearing other people or you're fearing your circumstances, but you're not fearing God. And ultimately what's going on here is that our lack of fear of God is bringing about a hypocrisy that resonates in our life. It resonates in our homes. It resonates in your job. It resonates in our culture. Let me, let me just jump ahead to the very end. What would it be like if you and I were people with a high view of God and as a result, in Him, we're able to have a high view of self because when I look at God and I see that He's created me in His image with dignity and value and purpose, and I realize that all of my meaning in life does not come from the things that I have. It does not come from the people that like me. It does not come from family. It doesn't come from a job. But real meaning in life comes from God himself. And what God wants is he wants us to approach him in a way that says, I respect you. I respect you. I fear you. I'm, 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 a, I'm here with respect both to meet with him personally, one-on-one with God. I'm here with respect with God's people. Let me just get, break off here for just a second. There's many people that get stuck in this idea that says, well, uh, we did away with Old Testament worship, meaning you had to go to the temple to meet with God. Now, that was then, Jesus comes, and now it's no longer, we have to go to the temple because we see uh, in the woman at the well, the story there, she says to Jesus, you know, some people say you worship here and other people say you worship over here. And Jesus says, the day is coming when you're going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so what he's saying is this, is that it's not going to be a place per se, but it's going to be, you're going to be able to worship God right where you're at. And so there's a very personal element to that. But in addition to that, there's an expectation that God's people will gather together. There's an expectation that God's people will be together. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, it says in Hebrews. We shouldn't give up meeting together. We shouldn't give up this practice of of preaching and hearing the word and singing together. I was listening to a sermon by John Piper just recently. It just struck me as something so obvious and yet something I hadn't thought of before. He says, this thing that we're a part of right here, Worship and uh, singing, worship, uh, preaching, giving. This, this whole thing of worship and praise and teaching, hearing the word. Nobody does this. I mean, uh, there are mosques and there are, are things of that nature. But this idea of joy and gathering together and worshiping this God and giving as a result and sacrificing ourselves, nobody does this. This is what makes Christianity unique. There's some very unique things about what we do when we gather together. God wants us to continue in this. And so before I go too much further and you say to yourself, well, you know, I don't think it's really required. Well, you don't understand the Bible. 
you don't understand the word of God. And we're not saying, we're not saying that, this, that you should be forced into attending church whether you like to or not. No. Come with a heart that says, I want to be with God's people. Or, as I've said before, I want to want to be with God's people. Even though I don't want to be here right now, I want to want to be a part of God's people. And so what Solomon, the teacher, is saying here, he says three things. He's going to tell us how to approach God, how to come to be with him. He's going to tell us three things through our presence with God, our prayers to God, and our promises to God. He's going to tell us these three things. First thing, chapter 5, verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Understand that something's assumed here. It's assuming that you're going to meet with God. That there is a time in a, in a New Testament understanding, there's a time when you go and you meet with God one-on-one. -on -one. There's a time when you go and you meet with God's people in a small group or something like that. There's engagement and community. There's a time when we gather together. And he says, be careful. Watch your step. When you approach God and you come to meet with him, watch your step. You say, what does this have to do with hypocrisy? What, <laughs> hypocrisy is all about saying, you know, I... Uh, you know, I respect guns. And then we take a gun, we point it at ourselves. You don't respect that gun. You don't respect that at all. You don't understand it. It's the same thing with God. And even though God isn't this crazy killer, like a gun might be, but there's this thing where we just don't even understand him. We don't revere him. We don't respect him. And so what happens is this, is I come to the church and I have these expectations and I say, give me what I want. And just so we're understanding here, when you come to the church, to God's people, the church is, a, is collectively God's people for all time and especially as a local gathering. When you come to the church and you say, give me, give me, give me. Or I'll come when it's convenient for me. I'll come when I don't have anything else going on. Or I'll come and be a part of it when, you know, things have settled down a little bit. Here's the thing. You don't have respect for who God is. Guard your steps. Think through the way that you're walking. Look at the direction that you're walking. Are you walking towards God? Are you walking towards Him? Or are you just kind of meandering through life? Yeah, sometimes I'll do God. Nah, nah. You know, no. Maybe. Okay, I'll do it for a little while. Oh, no. Guard your steps. It's, it's saying this. Be sure of where you're stepping. Watch what you're doing. Guard your steps. When you go to approach God, when you go to the house of God, this means this, that when I'm privately worshiping with God, when I'm reading his word, that this isn't something that's flippant. It's not something that I can take for granted. 
what it's saying is, I'm going to take this seriously. Solomon is saying, take it seriously. Take your Bible seriously, that it matters, and that you need it, and that you need to hear it. Otherwise, the only thing that we are is hypocrites. Hypocrites. You might say, I, I need to read my Bible more and I need to do some of these things. No, let's call it what it is. It's a lack of fear for God. It's a lack of reverence for who he is. It's saying, I don't really need him today because I have all that I want. And then when things get really bad, I'll return to him. And unfortunately, isn't that the way that it is with us oftentimes? And it can be the reverse too. Things are really bad right now, and I'm frustrated with God, and so I'm not really going to meet with him. But then things turn around and say, oh, I must be living, right? It's taking credit for what God is doing in your life or allowing to happen in your life, saying, oh, somehow I caused God to do this. I forced his hand because I'm just that good. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And then he says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. He answers the question, why? Why should you guard your steps when you go to the house of God? Because to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. They do not know that they are doing evil. Solomon is looking at God's people and he's saying that there are fools who come into God's presence. And I would argue this, that every one of us is in this boat at some time or another. Solomon looks at God's people and he says, they're not listening. You might say, Matt, that's easy for you to say. I wish you would listen for a while instead of keep talking from up there all the time. But here's the thing. God has called us to gather together and to hear the word of God preached, to hear it explained. And when we come in one of many different ways, that's like this. You know, I'll listen as long as I like what he's saying. Well, here's the thing. There's things in the Bible that I just flat out don't like. I read one the other day. I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't understand it yet. I don't like it. There's things in the Bible that are convicting. There's things in the Bible that, that, that tear me up. There's things that I don't like. And I just want to tell you that I routinely, and I make no apologies for this, I routinely have people say, you know, I want to feel more encouraged when I come to church, but you just don't seem to encourage me very much. And all I can say is this, is that like I'm really trying to be more encouraging in every way possible, but I want you to know this, that sometimes when we read the Word of God, it just isn't encouraging at face value. And why is it? It doesn't mean there isn't encouragement in here. 
It does not mean that. There is encouragement in here. But what it does mean is this, is that when David says in Psalm 51, surely I was conceived in sin. And we look at that and we say, listen, David knows something that all of us really know, but we try to avoid by saying, you know, man is essentially good. The Bible says that man is not essentially good. That every single one of us is evil. I am evil in my heart of hearts. But Jesus comes in and he changes me. And to the degree that I'm somebody who's being conformed into his image, that is from Jesus. What's coming from out of me is sin. (coughs) Nobody likes that idea. Nobody likes the idea of sin. Who wants to hear, hey, I'm a bad person and I need something else? No, the story we want to hear is you're a good person, you have it within you to do these things, and if you try hard enough, you can make it. I'm here to tell you, like a doctor who understands the cancer that you have growing in you, that it will not get better. It will not get better on your own. You can try all that you want. You can try to change it. You can try to fix things up. And you might look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's a dirty cup. You clean the outside of the glass, but on the inside, it's moldy and it's nasty and there's rot in there. And we don't want to hear it. Solomon says, when you come to the house of God, You've got to listen, but not just to the things that you want to listen to. When you come to the Word of God and you read it, and you read all of your favorite passages, and you say, okay, he wants good for me. Oh, he, th- this is good, that's good, that makes me feel better. Here's the thing, it's not dealing with the problem when you skip and you skip and you skip. It's not dealing with the root issue and showing you that I'm a sinner, but I'm in need of the fantastic grace of Jesus Christ who went to the cross. And so I hear this horrific tale of my sin, and then on the other side I hear the horrific grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ that is freely given to all who will receive it by faith. Come to the house of God, prepare yourself, come ready to hear, ready to be challenged, ready to be motivated, ready to be irritated. Either because my, every time I tear up, my voice goes up. So my, um, my nephew came a few services ago, I was sobbing because of this fantastic story I told the sermon was the greatest ever. Um, but my nephew, or my niece, I'm sorry, not my nephew, my niece, uh, she starts making fun of me later. Like, your voice goes up really high when you start to tear up. And I'm like, are you serious? You're going to mock my sermon? Aren't there some bears around here to come attack you? Or Bible nerd jokes. Uh, where was I? Uh, I look like I'm intently, I'm about to give you a good point, but I just forgot. I forgot where I am. Come ready to hear, to be irritated by my voice. That's where I was. Yes. Okay. To worship. 
Come ready to worship, to repent, to engage, to give. Listen, pay attention to the word that's being spoken. Pay attention to what's being taught. Some of us, I'm not going to look up right now because I don't know who's looking at their phones right now. And I, this is not, I, I actually don't ever see anybody. I've never actually noticed this. I think one time in the last seven years have I ever noticed this. Uh, but I, I know that we have our Bibles on our phone. But I also know this, that you have your Facebook on your phone. Right? And I know all about those notifications. I took Facebook off of my phone. Because here's the thing. Anybody in the world can contact me at any time. Anybody can contact me at any time. Someone can write on Facebook and criticize me for saying, you know, Matt, I really didn't like this. You know what? I'm with my family. It's my day off. I don't want to hear it. You know, I I took it off my phone because I want to check when I go to Facebook. That's when I'm ready. Hello, world. (coughs) I'm ready to hear from you. You know, let me tell you when a good time to not hear from the world is. When I'm meeting with God. Because you know what that's doing? It's not allowing me to listen to Him. I'm listening to everyone else. So if you've got to have your phone out, I want to encourage you in a couple... Let me give you some practical things. Turn off Facebook. Take it off your phone. Figure out how to turn off your email. When you come to the house of God, when you come to meet with God, get away from distractions. Whether it's just you and him, or whether it's you and all of God's people and him. Don't allow yourself to be distracted. Do what it says. He says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools is this. It is a fool who comes to God's house, to his temple, and brings this lame animal and says, uh, I know I'm supposed to be bringing my best for a literal sacrifice, but, you know, whatever. Doesn't really matter that much. Solomon says this, like, you've got to come and listen. Don't come and bring your second best. Don't go to God and bring your second best. Our sacrifices today are, are... Our bodies, our worship, our praise, our money, our time, our suffering. But we oftentimes are sacrificing like fools and we bring a lame animal, like this three-legged little lamb, doesn't doesn't have an eye, he's, he's limping, he's diseased, he's missing patches of fur. We set that up on the altar and say, there it is, God. Hope you like it. Because it's a beaut, right? It just, I mean, it just sounds like it's dying. It's got a cough. Someone needs to put this thing out of, out of its misery, but not on the altar of God. That, that's what we're doing. That's the sacrifice of fools. Listen, everybody in here needs to see this. I'm in this with you. 
I bring a sacrifice of a fool sometimes. Why are you and I hypocrites at times? Why are you and I not genuine about our faith? Because I've brought the lamest sacrifice you can bring. Solomon says this, here's what I want. Here's what God wants. To come to listen. And listening isn't just, okay, I'm listening and listening and listening. No, listening implies doing. And James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers. Be a doer of the word. If you're, when you listen, it implies that you took it seriously. When I tell one of my kids, hey, don't do that again. And then I come back and find out it's done again. And I come to my kids and I say, why didn't you listen? Why didn't you listen? Why do I know that they didn't listen? Because they didn't do it. You say, I'm listening, I'm listening. No, you're not doing it. I'm not doing it. That means that I'm not listening. Now, lest we think that we can get into this place where I heard it and now I realize I can't do it. What this means is this. We're hearing the word. Our minds are progressively being changed. We're being renewed in the spirit of our minds by progressively hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word, applying, applying, applying. It's not just bringing a lame sacrifice in. I've got to keep going here. Number two, how do we approach God with this reverence? Number two, our prayers to God. What do our prayers look like? What, what, what are they like a lot of the time? I know in my own life, I'm, and I hate to say it, but like my prayer life just is like, ah. I get to Sunday and I'm just like, Lord, I know I should have talked to you about this more. And it's not like I'm not talking to God, but it's not like this focused time of saying every time, God, I need you in this. I want you in this. And sometimes it's just out of fear or desperation. God, I I need you to speak to your people. But really what's going on is this, is that like our prayers to God are showing us something. It's showing what I really believe. See, we're all praying at different times. It just depends on the God that we're praying to. Oftentimes we're praying to ourselves and we're saying, you know, I really want to get that promotion. And so there's these things that I need to do. There's, there's this voice inside of us that it's continually going. It's continually talking. You're talking to yourself right now. You, I mean, sometimes when I'm preaching, I can be talking to you right now. I know what's going to come out next. I have two conversations going on in my mind. I have lots of conversations going on in my mind. You might get worried here before too long. Like, I mean, there are lots of conversations going on in our minds. And what's happening is this, is that oftentimes it's, it's not prayer to God, or we're not taking him seriously, or we're praying in this verbose fashion, oh, dearest Lord Jesus, I thank you for the many blessings that have happened to me through my great effort. Thank you for making me such an incredible person. And the fact that, I mean, it's, it's on and on. Look at what I said. I should read the passage here. Okay, verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, 
nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. He's talking about prayer. When we're talking to God, we're praying. So that's what he's talking about. He says, don't be rash with your mouth, blurting things out, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. In the midst of your prayers, what are they like? Are you just saying things? It's just a string of phrases. Like I want to, uh, you know, I, I just, I've got, I don't know if you remember that video a while ago where the guys were talking about like, I've, uh, you know, God, I just want to lift up my unspoken and I just want to echo that and I just want to ask for your blessings. And, and uh, you know, if, for me, it's like when we're sitting at the table and you're praying every day with your kids, you're trying to create this rhythm that says we thank God for the food that we have because we recognize that he has given it to us and ultimately this should probably be my prayer but i sit down i'm hungry i'm kind of on a weight loss plan right now so i'm really hungry at dinner time sit down with the kids i know I, i'm not saying diet anymore i feel feminine but um i i sit down and i start to pray and and it's and it just comes out like uh dear jesus thank you for this food uh, bless it to our bodies amen and it, it's, it's, it's hasty, it's flippant, it's not really saying what I mean. I haven't really considered the fact that, am I thankful? Am I really thanking God right now? Man, I was worried that there wasn't going to be food on the table uh, tonight. Oh, man, this is incredible. Like, God, he's blessing me every time I eat. Like, that should be our heart, but yet my heart just gets used to it, and I'm not really in it. And so he says, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. He's essentially saying, don't say things you don't mean in prayer. Don't say things you don't mean in the worship service. When I first I would almost say when I first became a Christian, I, I, I prayed a prayer when I was five. When I first came to this conclusion, okay, I want to go after God. One of the things I didn't understand was worship, singing worship. And I, I went to this mission trip, and there was like 300 uh, young adults under this tent, and there was like... In, you know, it was really killer because you're in the middle of nowhere. And those worship times, I don't know if you've been in any of those types of situations, but they can just be so fun. And I remember sitting there just going, uh, you know, we're, we're singing songs that are, you know, along the lines of, you know, there, there's a song I remember that was, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every step I make, every moment I'm awake, you know. I mean, it's, it's that type of stuff. And I was sitting there just saying, there's something going on in my heart, which is like, I want that, but that's not true of me. I want that, but that's not, not true of me. And I'm not saying don't sing a worship song, but I'm saying this. When we sing worship songs, we should do our best to say this. I really do want to give you my heart. Now, most of the time, we try to have songs at Outward Church that talk about what Jesus has done for us. So that I'm not sitting there saying, Jesus, I'm going to do this for you, and then I'm going to do that for you, and then I'm going to do the other thing for you. Oh, 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 oh. I mean, I, that's not the way that it goes. It's Jesus, you have done this for me. You went to the cross. 
You were crucified. You lived a perfect life. You were risen from the grave. And we are celebrating that. And we are just responding. And we're saying thank you. That's what a worship song is. But oftentimes it's not done in a way that says, that's really what I want. It's really what I need. And come on. We are worshipers as God's people. We are here to worship him. Don't be hasty with the words that you say. For God is in heaven and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. There's two things there. Know your place. Creator, creation. Creator, in charge of all things, creation in charge of nothing. Except the few things that he's given me perceived control over. Creator rules over all things. His thoughts are not my, my thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've got to come to God with that realization. I'm, I'm going to stop my mouth up sometimes, and I'm going to stop talking. And some of us just need to get that. I just need to shut up. Stop t- saying, what, oh, my God doesn't do this, and my... Or I don't believe that and I don't like that. Stop talking. Stop it. What it. God is saying this. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. How could you possibly think for a moment that you have something on me? As though you have this intellect that's going to somehow challenge my intellect. Which, by the way, I designed you. The synapses in your brain happen because I made it happen that way. And by this very moment, I am sustaining it. How can you sit here and criticize me, God says? He says to Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Do you have any idea about anything that's going on? You know what's happening when we're, when we're hypocrites and we don't have a genuine faith? It's somehow I'm up at the level of God and I'm just like, hey, everything about I know, what I know. I say things that I don't mean. And he says, just hush. I'm in heaven. You're on earth. Let your words be few. For a dream comes with much, much business and a fool's voice with many words. I'll just be honest with you. I think it's hard to figure out, okay, when am I supposed to speak and when am I not? You know what Solomon's trying to say? Think about it. Think before you speak to God, about God. Think before you speak. He says this, when you're working really hard and then you go home and you go to sleep and you dream about what you've been working on, like uh, that's kind of similar to uh, a fool comes with lots of words. When you work really hard and you have a dream, a fool comes with lots of words. We know that we have a fool when there's lots of words. And some of us need to recognize 
that I just, I just have this constant dialogue that's going, and I'm constantly saying what I think and what I believe, and I just need to listen to God and not just be constantly talking. I'm not saying don't talk. I'm not saying don't pray. But Solomon is saying this. You're, you're speaking in a way that makes it sound like you're above where God is, and we've got to move on. Last one, our promises. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. Why? For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why? Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. What he's saying here is this. When you say that you're going to do something for God, you need to do it. There's this thing in Christianity that says, I wasn't able to fulfill that. Oh, and God's gracious, he'll forgive me. Now, I want to say that I believe that that's true, and I, and, I, and I do, because all of us will break our vows. God is the ultimate vow keeper. But I do want to say this, and that is that too often we lean on that and say, oh, he'll forgive me. Oh, he'll forgive me. And so we take grace for granted, and we say, well, if he's going to be gracious to me, then why don't I just keep on sinning, as Paul says in Romans. And Paul says, by no means. Why would you do that? Why would you continue to do that? What's making a vow? Well, very obviously, it's getting married, right? That's one way to make a vow. And some of you are not in your marriages right now. And I, I, I know because I've talked to you, and, and some of you have uh, met some biblical requirements. Your spouse met some biblical requirements for a divorce. Some of you, unfortunately, have, are probably out of a marriage because of your own sin, and I just want to tell you that Jesus forgives you. And some of you needed to be out of your marriage because your spouse abandoned you or has been unfaithful to you repeatedly to the point where you were not able to, cons- to keep a, a relationship with them. So I want to say that first. But too often we get to this and we say, you know, we fell out of love. I, I fell out of love with my, my spouse But here's the thing. You made a vow to God. You made a vow. And when you vow to God, you you have to keep it. Solomon says, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Why should God be angry with you? Why Why would you allow that to take place? So what does this look like? We have all kinds of vows in our culture. And sometimes, especially with, I think, the millennial generation, I think my generation, which is just uh, before the millennial generation, is really good at this as well, which is like, I'm just kind of noncommittal. That's just, that's a little bit of who I am. And so I just like, I don't want to promise God anything because I know I'm just going to screw it up, right? Some of us are like, I haven't made a vow. <laughs> yeah, you've been a slacker. That's what you've been. I mean, so here we are. We either have slackers or we have liars. Every one of us. 
So every single one of us has got, has got to say this. At some point or another, I've broken a vow. There's nobody who's above someone else. At some point or another, I've just chosen not to promise God anything so that he'll, he'll just be, ha- God, you'll just be happy with what you get, right? Solomon's trying to tell us that when you promise God something, you need to follow through. Don't make promises that you don't intend to keep. Don't say to God or to others that you're going to do something and then not follow through. This happens in community groups. It's like, you know, I, I, I was a part of it, and then and there's probably 20 of you in here, so no offense. This happens all the time. But just want you to know, I was, I was a part of it, and then I just, you know, I just kind of decided not to be a part of it. But there, there's a sense in which you need to take seriously your commitment to your community group. To the people that are there, it's, it is like a vow to God. Now, certainly, you didn't stand on the stage and say, I vow to never miss community group, or I, or I vow to never leave my community group. Put your hand on the Bible or something like that. But this is what we're talking about. I'm joining this group of people. I want to be a part of it. When you sign up and you say, I'm going to serve in this capacity, but then you say, you know what? I just decided I just couldn't do it right now. There's a sense in which we're breaking a vow. And I think we can take this too far. You broke your vow. You're out of the church. You know, something like that. That's ridiculous. But we need to take more seriously what we're saying to God, to God's people, and to say, God, uh, I have decided that I'm going to begin giving to what you're doing at Outward Church. I want to encourage you to sustain that. We're not asking for that from you. What we're saying is this. We're saying, listen, if you have something going on between you and God, you need to uphold that. It's a serious thing. And many of us don't take it seriously enough. And so what happens is this. Either we don't make vows or we make vows and and we don't keep them. And you know when this happens the most? Is when we get ourselves into trouble. And we say, okay, This time, it's different. God, I am promising you, if you get me out of this jam, I will give you X. And Solomon is saying this, saying this. Don't be hasty with your words. Don't just start spouting things off. Don't just start saying things. God doesn't want you to to overcommit yourself in a way that you cannot fulfill that. There are good reasons to make a vow to God. There are very good reasons. Think before you do that. Because of this. When we approach God, it oftentimes happens with zero reverence. Let me just get real serious with you for a second. Can I just... Can I just be real for a moment? I'm going to anyway, okay? Um, Our church is stronger than it's ever been, according to the elders. The elders are the men who oversee the church. And I... uh, you know, I'll be really real. I was a little bit discouraged recently. 
And I was discouraged just because some, some things weren't, did not go the way that I wanted them to. And the elders have said, man, by all accounts, there are so many things that are going well right now. I mean, uh, our giving is at the highest level that it's ever been, and it's enabling us to do more. We're supporting more church planting than we ever have before. Church planting means this. There's more bodies like this that are going in throughout the world because we are giving to that. We're paying for other, uh, to, to create curriculum uh, that is going to train uh, church members um, so that some of those can become future church planters. So that there can be a new church that's put into another city that then serves the community, displays to them the gospel, tells them who Jesus is, uh, heals the sick, feeds the hungry, all of those things. That's what is going on. Your giving enables that. We're stronger financially than we've ever been. Some, our people are some of the strongest that we've ever had. Many, many of you are some incredible, incredible people. And if you've ever seen that commercial of Pinocchio as a motivational speaker, I see a bunch of winners here, you know. I, uh, I feel like my nose is growing here, but I, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get this back because that is my favorite commercial right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we, we're, our church is so strong right now. In so many ways. And I've had to have people around me that tell me that. But I want to tell you something. Where it's not strong is in some of this stuff. Where it's not strong is in some of these things. I, I've said this a couple of times recently. But I'm, I'm asking you to make a commitment to attend church every week. Come hell or high water. And it's not because we want high numbers. But it's because I love you. I like being with you. And some of you are really good at interacting with other people. And just by, simply by your presence being here, you're going to identify with somebody that's new and needs Jesus. And you're going to be able to connect with them. And when you're not here, you know what happens is this, is that you don't get that opportunity. And some of you are just in a place of hurt. And there's stuff going on in your life that you need help for. And so you should be here because there's people here that want to help you with the hurts in your life and the sin in your life and the things that are going on. And some of you, God has blessed you with finances. And so you could give more and we could do more in our city. And, but most of us, if not all of us, don't take the call seriously. And I just want to be dead serious here for a second. And I'm, I'm asking you not to view your church attendance or the way that you operate with the church lightly. Stop going to your community group with your handout and saying, I want to know what you can give to me. And I'm asking you, if you're a Christian, to go to it in a place of reverence for God that says this, he's not here to provide for me. He does provide for me, and I'm grateful for that, but I am here to serve my God. Some of you are in a place where you need to receive right now. Don't get me wrong. 
It's okay to receive. It's okay to come to the church and say, I need, I have, I have things that are going wrong. I do desire a spouse. I want that, and I, and I don't know what to do with this. Come, come, let, let God speak to you and help you. But for those of us who are mature and for those of us who are healthy, if you're always coming to the church with your hand out and you're never here with your hands full saying, I'm here to serve God's people and I have this from my heart and I have this from my life and I have this. Oh, we have fantastic people. We need more. Some of you are here and you're, you're marginally involved and, I, and I'm, I'm pleading with you, please come and be with God's people. Please be a part of it. And don't just come when it suits you. Respect God. Revere Him. Fear Him. Stop fearing yourself or your schedule and start fearing God because He's the only one worthy of fearing. Start fearing God because He is everything and He's given you everything. Start fearing God because he gave you Jesus on the cross. And he gave everything. He gave us everything on the cross. I hope that's your motivation for fearing him. He gave me everything. Why couldn't I just give him my all back? We're going to pray. We're going to worship. And then we're going to partake of communion. They're going to pass it out. I just want you to take it. Don't partake yet. If you're a believer, just hang on to it, and then I'll lead us through that in just a moment. We're going to do that in the next few minutes. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be some hearts that are stirred here this morning. This is a tough subject to really uh, try and understand what it is that you want from us. Now, you want us to pray to you, but you don't want us to just go on and on like the pagans do. But you want us to tell us what, what to, tell, to tell you what we need. To say it simply, to say it plainly. But you're not just looking for this ongoing dialogue. Lord, you want us to listen. You want us to hear you. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be true of us and that we would be people who are longing to hear from you. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray for stirred hearts that say, you know what, I want to fear God in these ways. And so, Lord, I pray that they would think about the areas where they've had misplaced priorities, where they've either made a vow and not kept it or not even made a vow just out of laziness. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd convict us, every single one of us, including myself, that we'd understand how to, how to approach you. It's in your name we pray.